If you could please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Wow. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4 and 5 and probably 6 as well. We'll go a bit faster than the first few chapters, I'm believing, <laughs> thinking. Uh, but I want to slow down for a second because Paul, when he instructs Timothy, the young pastor here, in regard to how to teach the church, how to shepherd the church, how to guard them and, and guide them and protect them. He has so many things to say, and he talks quite a bit about spiritual warfare. In the very first chapter of 1 Timothy, he talks about false doctrine that had infiltrated the church, and some in his, the midst of the fellowship that he was pastoring, where Timothy was leading, had already been led astray, and that he'd handed a couple gentlemen over to Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme a couple of false teachers. Uh, and then in chapter 2 and 3, I'm not going to review those chapters, but uh, he's concerned that there's solid teaching, you know, in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And he talks about how Eve was led astray and so forth, and that they need, we need to appoint elders to lead the church and guard it. And today, man, we are in such a horrific period of time in the church I mean, there's churches that are going transgender and we're allowing all kinds of stuff. Andy Stanley, I, I played a little clip from him some time back. It's just heartbreaking. You know, he's just straight up just, you know, opening the doors and accepting practicing homosexuality as part of the church, you know. And we've really just, man, got our eyes off of Jesus and the Word. And these are, you know, some of these are popular evangelical professing, I should say, right, popular evangelical Christians so in Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, fight the good fight, lay hold on eternal life. Amen. So we're in a fight, and you're in a spiritual war. And you can't just kick back and say, hey, praise God, I'm saved. Now I'm just going to kick back and eat bonbons for the rest of my life until Jesus comes. You know? No, we have work to do. We've got to roll up our sleeves. We've got to win the lost. Amen. Uh, we have to build up one another in Christ. We need to strengthen each other. We need to deny ourselves and live for Jesus. And that's not only what we're called to, but that's where the true life is. Amen. The true life is in Christ and living for him. To me, to live is Christ, Paul said, and to die is what? It's to gain. And if you're, so if you're living for Christ, it's a win-win situation, right? If you live for Christ, praise God, you're doing great. If you die because you live for Christ, that's even better because now you're, man, to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. But he's telling us at the end of 1 Timothy 3, after he talks about the order that ought to be in the church, he goes on to talk about in verse 15 how the church is, is a pillar and a support of the truth. Amen? We hold up the truth. We hold up the truth here. We preach the gospel. You know? And uh, I've had a great opportunity to share with people in the last couple days, uh, quite, quite, quite a bit actually, uh, people, if I didn't know if they were believers or not, just starting conversations and finding out, surprisingly, some are, were believers. I was talking to, just trying to strike up conversations, and a couple other people uh, just encouraging them to know Jesus, and one person who said they used to follow Jesus, even had been on a mission trip, who said they weren't at, currently at the time. Uh, just, and, and I just thought, wow, it's so awesome. It's so exciting when you get to share with people, and you just got to just get the salt out of the shaker. We're called the salt of the earth, amen, and not bury our lights behind under a bushel, as Jesus said, but let it shine, amen. But the scriptures tell us in the midst of doing the work that we're called to do as believers. Now, we also have to guard our hearts. We also have to watch our lives. We have to watch our doctrine. In fact, if you go to the very end of, I know we're in verse 1, but just go to the very end of chapter 4, and he says, pay close attention, verse 16, pay close, close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. So you're called to pay attention to yourself, watch your own walk, and your teaching, that's Timothy, but Timothy's called to instruct others to pass on the instruction that he receives to others so they can pass on to others, amen? So this is for all of us. So pay close attention to yourself and to your what? Your teaching, your doctrine, and persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure what? Salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now he says this in light of some stuff that he's just said quite a bit earlier, and go to 1 Timothy 4.1. The reason we need to persevere and make sure that we are, as Paul said, I beat my body down so after I preach the gospel to others, I myself would not become a docomos or rejected. Amen? Paul had to watch his own life and as the great 
Greek scholar, perhaps the greatest American Greek scholar ever, A.T. Robertson, uh, stated that if the Apostle Paul was concerned about beating his body down so he would not become cast away, how much more should all of us as believers be concerned about making sure that we're denying ourselves, amen, and following Christ? But he also says to watch your teaching. And that's important because if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, look at what Paul said would be coming. But the Spirit explicitly, clearly, obviously says that in later times, some will fall away. In later times, some some treat it as though he's dealing with a situation that's there right now. And I believe there's already some apostasy going on right now, but there's a future tense here. So it's obviously going to increase. So he's talking about, this is also prophetic, obviously, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, or in the King James, I like how it phrases it there because I memorized it that way years ago, in the latter times, it means the same thing. Some will what? Fall away from the faith. They will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Satan and the fallen angelic realm are incredibly deceitful. And they're very, very, very seductive. You know, you can watch some of our videos, whether it's on how Satan uses music with many of the top musicians and bands and artists uh, through the last several decades. And uh, on They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, or you could check out uh, our YouTube channel because it's up to date with a lot of the bands. And a lot of them just admit, you know, they're in touch and they're being used by spirits. Remember Beyonce said she couldn't even hit certain notes and she couldn't sing like she could sing until she said she got possessed by a spirit that she calls Sasha Fierce, you know? And the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But it's not, Satan's not just, do you think Satan just wants to entertain us? No. He seduces us through music, through so much that's in Hollywood, through, you know, all kinds of doctrines, you know? Darwinism, I mean, that's just tried to, that Darwinism was such a brilliant but evil and malignant and malevolent stroke against God's word. And, um, it, and it's seductive because guess what? Wow. Because Darwinism struck at the very foundation of creation. And if there's no creation and we're not creating God's image and we just evolved, then the fall is not really the fall of man and there's no need of redemption. You get it? So that's, that's, and Darwin, I told you before, at the end of one of his letters, he says, thank you for helping, and this is right when The Origin of the Species was being published, his first book uh, on that issue. He said, thank you for propagating the gospel. And then he, uh, P.S., thank you for propagating the gospel, i.e. the devil's gospel. You can learn a lot from people's private letters that they don't say in the academic forms. So it's not just music, it's not just a lot of the movies and television shows, and, but it's, it's also a lot of philosophies and ideology and a lot of psychology. If you look at Carl Rogers, if you look at Maslow, if you look at Freud, if you look at Jung, if you look at a lot of these top psychiatrists and uh, that, and psychoanalysts and so forth, and you look at a lot of their philosophies, a lot of them talked about using the Ouija board or being into the spirit world and getting their ideas from the spirit world. You know, um, Carl Jung felt he was in contact with a spirit he called Philemon, and his journals were just, I, I read through some of them a few years ago. They were finally unveiled, and it's just fully Gnostic. You know, and we're talking about the fathers of a lot of popular psychology today. So you have to be very, very careful as Christians that we cast down, the Bible says, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, right? And bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. That's what we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. You're supposed to take our thoughts captive, because you are in a spiritual war. And it's important to know that the scriptures predict, the Holy Spirit speaks clearly that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith. There will be a falling away from the faith. And I want to speak more generally about that because in the future messages, I'll be getting into the specifics that Paul mentions here regarding a couple of different doctrines that he talks about to be aware of uh, to the early church, to Timothy and so forth. Uh, But I want to talk about something that I think is very, very important that you recognize that how many people that are saved right now and following Jesus think that they're going to fall away? Most people don't think they're going to fall away. Most people, when they get married, don't go up, I don't think I'm going to get divorced pretty soon. No. Most people, when they become Christians, don't think they're going to fall away. Yet, 
there's many, many scriptures that deal with falling away. And there's a ton of scriptures that talk about falling away, which I think is really, really interesting because uh, a lot of people don't believe what the Bible says about falling away. They don't believe that falling away is actually taught in the Bible. It's everywhere, you know. The Greek word is fistomai right there for, for uh, uh, fall away, and it's used four times in the New Testament, but many other words, apostasia is used, which has to do with falling away. Uh, that's used in 2 Thessalonians 2. Uh, there's different words used of falling away. And so I want to talk about a couple things that I want you to consider tonight that I think are really, really important. And that is, first of all, you have to be aware, yes, you can indeed fall away. And number two, I want to talk, because I want to talk more in general terms, and, and I want to talk about that a little bit. But I also want to talk about something where there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ on that issue. But there's a lot of confusion on the issue of, does the Bible predict a falling away in the end? A great falling away? Or does it predict a great revival where everybody turns to Christ in the end? You guys are pretty well schooled because I'm preaching the choir, it sounds like sometimes, man. So uh, that's good, though. That's good. But uh, we need to look at the Scripture. It's always good to, to put ourselves in remembrance of these things as we look at Scripture. And when you go to Scripture like this, what should you talk about? What should I talk about as a pastor? Talking about people falling away in the last days. So we should probably talk about people falling away in the last days, right? And he's talking about doctrines of demons. We should probably talk about what those doctrines are. We have already a little, right? And, uh, but it's important to understand. And I'm telling you this too. There's controversy whether there's a falling away or a revival in the end. Millions of Christians are being taught, millions are being taught right now that there's a great revival coming. They don't even think about an apostasy. They're, being, they're, they're under the belief system that, hey, everybody's going to come to Christ in the end and everybody's going to be singing kumbaya together and, you know, and, and so forth. And, and there are, God's done doing, he's doing miracles already at our church. He's going to do them everywhere. And everybody's going to get converted. And man, it's going to just be amazing. And, and they're not reading the book of Revelation, are they? And don't make me go through the book of Revelation again. <laughs> you know? But uh, they are, it's like, what in the world? Because they're listening to these people that call themselves apostles call themselves prophets. And people are being led astray in mass. And this is so dangerous because many of these people do not test signs and wonders. They're just believe that, well, you know, God's at work. And, and I've even seen some of their advertisements like unity through signs and wonders. Unity through signs and wonders? No, true unity only comes through Jesus Christ and truly following him. And Paul said, I'm a companion with all those who fear you. That's, that's who I'm unified with, those who truly fear the Lord, those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, and love him and his gospel, amen. So it's important that we understand that there is a, a spiritual war. Uh, I think it's inc incredible. So when we think of, why does Satan use to deceive? Well, we just saw doctrines of demons. So he has doctrines, teachings. So a lot of people, oh, well, doctrine is not important. They don't realize, man, doctrine is very, very, very important because there's actually doctrines of demons. Satan's the father of lies. Why would Satan use lies? Because he wants to get us to follow a different Jesus, a different gospel, receive a different spirit, right? He wants us to get off course. And, but he also uses temptation. He uses the pleasures of this life. Amen? Paul talks about Demas, who he mentions elsewhere, other than Timothy, as a, as a servant of God. But he says, Demas has forsaken me, he writes to Timothy, having loved this present world. And we're called not to love the world, neither things in the world. For all that is of the world is the lust of flesh, lust of eyes, the pride of life. And the world's passing away, the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Amen. So the world's very tantalizing, but it's all temporal. Doesn't, we're not here very long. So I think it's imperative that we understand how the enemy's working in regard to deceiving. He's called the deceiver. He's called the paneron, the evil one. He's called the tempter twice. He tempts. Father lies already mentioned. He's called many, many things. And his names kind of give away what he's all about. But it's interesting because what does Satan do in regard to unbelievers? What's his tactic for unbelievers? Now, we know we were all unbelievers, and he was trying this with us. And praise God, God's love and his gospel broke through. Amen. So what does he do? We know from 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 what he does. 
Paul says if our gospel is hidden, it's because the what? The God of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Amen? So according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, what he's doing with non-believers is he's blinding them from the gospel. Amen? Now, we preach the gospel. It's powerful, man. You know, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, right? Dividing bone and marrow and soul and spirit. And it's the power of God is salvation. Everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Greek. So when you plant the gospel seed in somebody's heart, okay, wow. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the enemy's trying to blind them, but now you've given them some light. You've given them the gospel of Jesus Christ, who enlightens the heart of everyone that comes in the world. Then what does Satan do? According to Luke chapter 8, his next tactic is to steal the seed. Remember that? Remember the parable of the sower? In Luke chapter 8, what does he do? When the gospel seed is sown, it says the sower is the son of man, Jesus, and he uses us. We're his body, right? And we sow the gospel in someone's heart. The enemy, what's he doing? He's seeking to snatch that seed away. It says he snatches seed away so they do not believe and get saved. So that shows me that when I'm ministering to non-believers, I'm praying, God, please lift the veil. Please, you know, help them to see the gospel. And praise God, uh, the gospel marches forward and millions and millions and millions and millions of people have been saved, hundreds of millions, and, and are getting saved, you know. It's beautiful. But then you're praying for the non-believer. This is what you ought to be doing with your loved ones that don't know Jesus. With your, don't stop praying. Too many people stop praying too soon. There's so many people that come to Christ, you know, later in life. Amen? And don't keep praying for your loved ones. Don't keep praying for your friends. Uh, don't stop, I should say. Don't stop. Don't keep. What in the world? Don't stop. I've had a long day. <laughs> don't stop praying for them. Amen? Be diligent about them, praying for them. And also, when you've planted the seed, right, you know the enemy's coming to take it away. So what do you do? You try to water that seed. And you, you water it through prayer, amen? You water it through encouragement, amen? You water it through continue to be a good example. If that person lets you down, you still love on them. You give them every reason to see Jesus in you. And when the enemy's seeking ways to turn them away from the gospel, you don't let the enemy twist anything up in your life as your shining light. You want to be the best example you can to non-believers and family members. Amen. So we've got our work cut out for ourselves. But when it comes to when it comes to believers, the scriptures are very clear that, I mean, he says it right here. The Spirit speaks expressly or explicitly or clearly that in the latter times, latter days, some will depart from the faith. They'll fall away, as NASB says, they'll fall away from the faith. Some will say, well, if you fall away, you were never in the faith. That's kind of funny. That's like saying, if you fall off a, a, a monkey bar, you were never on the monkey bar. Where does it ever say that? It doesn't say that in Scripture. In fact, the Scriptures say that there, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this. This is how the kingdom of God works. Talks about that man that had forgiven this great, uh, the, remember that 10,000 talents? <laughs> Talk about forgiveness. Wow. And then he hates on his brother. He refused to forgive him. A hundred denarii. And then guess what the Lord does? He says, neither shall your master forgive you now. And Jesus looks at his Peter, who wanted to know if he had to keep, Peter was definitely saved, right? To have to keep praying for forgiving my brother. And Jesus says, my father would do the same thing to you that happened to that guy who was handed over to the tormentors and lost his forgiveness if you refuse to forgive your brother from your heart, Peter. And the Lord says that to us, that those are other tactics the enemy uses. Bitterness, you know, anger, unforgiveness. We know unforgiveness is the tactic he uses because 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says we're not ignorant of saints' devices and it's there that he says to make sure you forgive this fallen brother that's returned. We know he uses anger. Ephesians 2.27, it says in Ephesians 2.27, uh, don't give a foothold to the devil. Then he goes on to talk about anger, right? Not letting the sun go down in your anger. You have to make sure you don't let the enemy get a foothold because all of a sudden those things can smolder. I was reading earlier today, and in, in, uh, I think it was, was it Zephaniah, and I was talking about those who are resting on their leaves, and the leaves are the dregs, and the dregs are when they would make wine, you know, the, 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 the chunks, you know, that of the grapes and so forth that, that were kind of weighty and didn't get filtered out would go to the bottom. They were called lees or dregs. And if they were left in there too long to ferment, they would become incredibly you know, stronger uh, in alcohol content. And 
Uh, and then they would kind of turn to like a, a kind of a gooey mush and just be gross. And that's a reference to those who are resting on, you got to make sure you're not resting on your sin. You're not letting things smolder and saying you're going through something with somebody. That you just don't let it smolder. That you just pray, start praying for that person. Right? Don't let the enemy get any kind of foothold where you don't, where you do, don't be apathetic about sin in your life. Amen? Don't be apathetic about the sin in your life. If there's sin in your life, repent of it. Turn from it. Amen? Uh, because now the scriptures do speak before we answer apostasy or revival, before we get into that a little bit more, just the idea of falling away. It's throughout the scripture. And I'll give you just a few references because I don't want to spend all night on that idea and that, that topic. But in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, see, and that's and before you get to verse 12, we go to verse 6, right? He calls them holy brethren, right? And then in verse 12, he says, see to it, brethren, that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and falling away from the, from, from the living God. He's addressing brothers there. And he warns brothers to make sure their hearts don't get hard because of the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, their hearts aren't hard. Amen? And he says, don't be like those who were, you know, wiped out in the wilderness. And he says that they need to be very careful that their hearts are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will harden your heart against God. You'll no longer be sensitive to the wooing of the Holy Spirit and rather than being sensitive saying, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, you know, you'll end up grieving the Holy Spirit over and over again and not care. And that's a very, very serious thing, you know. My mom was just out from Idaho. And she's a great lady, and she just moved back and, uh, to Idaho. I mean, not moved back, but she just left back to Idaho. And, and, uh, and I love my mom so much. So I've always been careful. I was a terrible kid before I got saved, you know, up until like, right now, 18 years old. Just I, there's things I look back on the way I talked to my mom and how I acted as a, just a dumb kid. It's just shameful, you know? But, but I got saved, you know? And ever since that time, I just, man, try to be very, as much as I can, just show her love and, you know, my dad who passed and my siblings and just love them and so forth. But you know what? My mom, I'd, I would hate to grieve my mom. Sensitive person, but not, and she's got a tough, she's a tough skin if you got tough skin if you know my mom, you know, but she's got, a, she's real sensitive and sweet in a good way too, you know. And I'd hate to grieve my mom. How much more should we hate wanting to grieve the Holy Spirit? Amen. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed to the day of redemption. Amen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's, a, he's the, per, he lives in you and he's sensitive. Amen? And as sweet as my mom is, the Holy Spirit's even sweeter. Sorry, Mom, you're so sweet, but we're talking about, we're talking about the Lord here. Amen? So we don't, want to, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And you can do that by hardening your heart. And it says, brethren, and it says just before that, holy brethren. Not talking about non-Christians. When it's not warning non-Christians not to harden their hearts. Their hearts are already hardened. Amen? They need to get softened hearts and get saved. Amen? But see to it, brethren, that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and fallen away from the living God. Amen? Amen. And then in Galatians 1.6, he says, I marvel that you are so quickly being removed from him who's called you to the grace of Christ to another gospel. You can be removed to a different gospel. So you can harden your hearts by sin, temptation, but you can also fall into false doctrine, as Paul says here. And that's why in Galatians 5, Paul says, to the church of Galatia, stand fast in the freedom with which Christ has set you free. And don't be, so they're set free. I'm not talking to people that aren't free. Stand fast in the freedom with which Christ has set you free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. He's talking, the context is going back to the law of Moses because false teachers that we call in theology, Judaizers, had come into the church telling them they had to keep the law of Moses to be saved. Now we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, right? It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. So notice that Paul doesn't say, they fell away from all their good works. No. The Spirit speaks explicitly, verse 1 of chapter 4, that latter times some will fall away from the faith. That's what we're talking about. Amen? Now, of course, faith without works is dead. So if you're in the faith, you'll have evidence. But you can fall away from the faith. So Paul says, stand fast in the freedom with which Christ has set you free, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. He says, see it to it that none of you, he warns them, 
he warns them that they're not to be circumcised because the Jews, Jewish believers, some of them were saying, you had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, at least aspects of the law, to be right with God. And he says, if you do that, he says, Christ will benefit you nothing. He says, you'll be cut off from the Christ. And those of them that were already doing that, he says in verse 4, you have fallen from grace. Again, how can you fall from something that you never had? Amen? These guys had grace. And that's what the early church taught, by the way, for the first few centuries of the church, you know? And all the way into the, most of the church taught that. In fact, all the church taught that in regard to that, that believers could fall away up until the 1500s, you know? There were certain people like Augustine, a Roman Catholic, and his own church didn't even agree with him on that, that said the special elect people, they can't really fall away. That came 400 years after Christ. It's a long time. We haven't been in a country that long. It's how long the church was not teaching anything like that. And even his own Roman Catholic church didn't accept that because they were based more on what the early church fathers taught on needing to persevere in the faith and that anyone could fall away. It's interesting. And what happened to Rome, right? I mean, the Roman Catholicism got way away from the gospel. So it's interesting. You have many scriptures like this, but I want to shift now. Because one of the things I thought about doing and we could have done is spend the whole service showing all kinds of scriptures that say you can fall away, okay? Most of us know that. If you haven't, if you're like, man, I wish you had shared more because I'm kind of newer to this subject. I did a series a long time ago called Abide or Burn, okay? And go ahead and just go to the website and uh, the Blessed Hope site. Steve, can you do me a favor, bro, since I'm seeing you and I've thought about this before. Somebody said they didn't see that on the Blessed Hope site. We used to have it out there. Can you try to get that on there? Oh, and another one, since I'm talking to you. Calvinism, and it's the same subject, the way Calvinism refuted. Remember that series? And somebody else, I said, and we were looking for it. A few of us were looking for it on the Blessed Hope site, and uh, we couldn't find it. I think Doug was helping me. And maybe it's on there, it's just under something else, so if we can type in Calvinism and find it. That's like over 10 messages. On the, and a lot of these, what I'm talking about, deals with this subject matter. I've dealt with it off and on through the years, but I've done two pretty lengthy series on this issue. So I want to shift now. I want to, sh- and I'll, I'll give you one last example because I know there's somebody saying, I wish you'd give one really. Well, I just talked about the guy that was forgiven, 10,000 talents. You can't deny he was forgiven. And you can't deny that he was placed in the place of torment until he paid off the last penny and he could never pay off the last penny, okay? But there's many passages like that. But in Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10, there's really, really clear examples. Hebrews 10 is like, many say 6 is the strongest warning. You know, and since I want to, I want to, don't want to spend the whole service on that. Let's just jet over there real quick, read those passages, and then we'll move on to the next aspect of what I want to talk about tonight. Hebrews chapter six. Now I'm going to tell you right now. A lot of people want to get around Hebrews chapter six, and they admit this passage. They'll admit over and over and over and over and over again. I don't, you know what I thought? How many times I've actually taken you to Hebrews six as a pastor? You know how many times I've probably taken you to Hebrews six. Not, not actually a lot. because I, I, It's funny because it's one of the strongest passages on this issue. And I hardly ever go to Hebrews 6. In fact, I go to Hebrews 10 more than Hebrews 6. But it's just it's so amazing. But I, and we'll go through it quick because I want to shift to apostasy or revival. But we are talking about apostasy right now. And I think this is more pertinent in regard to our own devotional life, making sure that we're watching our own lives, though, and make sure we're heeding these warnings. So in Hebrews chapter 6, and I wish I could spend time on this. And I have, I have exegeted this passage, I'm sure, more than once. I know I've done it at least two or three times through the years. But I, so I want to go through it quickly, though. Uh, and I want to make sure you understand from the get-go that he's warning believers here. Because when people see Hebrews 6, they're like, they look at it like, wow, that looks like you could fall away. How can I get around that passage? Then they'll say, ah, oh, you know what? He must be warning non-believers. And a lot of people say, oh, the Hebrews were not really believers that he's writing to. Well, let's just, you know, dispose of that myth really quickly by looking at the end of chapter 5 and see exactly who he's talking to. He says to them in verse 11, concerning him, meaning Melchizedek in context, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become what? Dole of hearing. They weren't dull of hearing, but they became dull of hearing. And then he says, for though by this time you ought to be what? Teachers. Now, if they're not Christians, they ought not to be teachers by now. That's for sure. I would never say that guy should be a teacher. He should be a teacher by now. 
you know? And then he goes on to say, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need what? Milk and not solid food. Who do you give milk to? Babies. He's talking about baby Christians. They should be adult Christians now. Many of them should be teaching this scripture by now. But they've become dull of hearing. He can't even tell them about Melchizedek to the degree he wants to. But he says in verse 14, but solid food is for the what? Mature. Who because of what? Well, let's back up. Verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is what? He's a baby. He's an infant. He's saying you guys are a bunch of babies. You're still, you know, in diapers. You're still like, you got your baba, you know, or your binky. You got your rattle. And I always say that's such a funny picture. You think of a 35-year-old man with a binky in, in a crib and his mom putting him night-night, you know. And now if he can't, if, if he's 35 years old and he has some mental deficiencies and so forth, that's sad, that's tragic, that's understandable. But if a 35-year-old who, who can just dull of hearing, just tunes out his mom, just ignores her, right? And he refuses to grow up and he refuses to cut his own steak, mama, you know? And he's like, you know, and she's like, honey, it's bedtime, and he's crying and stuff. And, and he doesn't have to, though. He can, he can get up, and he can just change his clothes. He can, like, get a job. And he's, like, in his basement, you know, playing computer games, and then his mommy has to change his diaper. I mean, that's just gross and sick and sad. But guess what? A lot of professing Christians are like that. You know? I mean, come on. That's what he's talking about. That's how a lot of them look spiritually to God. Inwardly, when he looks at them, they're still babies. And babies cannot, babies constantly need to be fed, but they don't, can't, they don't like to share their food, right? We need to make sure we're sharing the food, that we're saying, God, use me to teach others and share the gospel with people at least, amen? And help me not just know John 3, 16, 27 years after I've been a Christian, amen? How long have you been a Christian? 27 years. I've almost got John 3, 16 memorized, you know? It's like, What? I mean, I always say, like, oh, well, praise God. Hopefully you'll speed up, you know, a little bit, you know. But we need to grow. So uh, he's dealing with immature Christians, true babies. Don't say these guys aren't believers. And, when, and then look at what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, the ABCs, going beyond the ABCs, let us press on to what? Maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Don't go back and lay the foundation again. Move forward now. Grow in Christ. Right? And then look at verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been what? Enlightened. And have tasted of the heavenly gift. And have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God. And the powers of the age to come. And then have what? Fallen away. It is impossible to do them again to repentance, since they again crucified themselves, the Son of God, and put him to open shame. They're just totally rebellious against Jesus. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being what? burned. That's not purgatory either, guys. That's the lake of fire, okay? This is such a heavy warning because he's not warning non-believers. And now he gives an example because he's going to say in chapter 10, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together as is the habit of some. There are some that are no longer in fellowship with them and some that have actually crossed the line. And by the way, in verse 4, it says, in case of those who have once been enlightened, and have tasted the heavenly gift and been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And then in verse 6, it says, and then have what? Fallen away. Do any of you have a translation that says, if they fall away? Okay, Landell, I love you, sister, but cross out that word if. That's not in your Bible. That's not in the Greek New Testament. Yeah, I think the NIV has that. Yeah. Uh, I think the old King James had that as well, if I remember right. It does? Yeah. Yeah, it's an asterisk, or it's, it's giving the asterisk saying it's not in the original. What's that? It says, and 
and have. So, so he's got the a new King James, but he's got an asterisk that gives a true translation, and have fallen away. The thing is, it's no if, and there's no like if they fall away. It's, it's one, have fall, it, having fallen away is actually one Greek word. It's peripasantus, and it's in, the, it's in the aorist, which is what we'd say the past tense. So it's talking about not something that's conditional that they might do if they do this, although that would still be a warning, right? There would still be a warning there with an if, but it would be, but some people say, oh, it's hypothetical, if they fall away, but you can't. Mm-mm, you can't go there because there's no if there. Really, it's talking about those who what? Have fallen away. Okay? And look at the experiences they've had. They've tasted the good word of God. Okay? And I'm, uh, I know some Bible teachers take this and they don't want to believe what it says. Uh, in the series Abide or Burn, I go through, I show how John MacArthur handles this and he's a Calvinist, so he... Totally looks at it as, well, a true believer can't fall away. So this must be describing a, a false brother, you know. And I love, I love John MacArthur, you know. Lord, you know, have mercy in, on all of us. And, and he has some really very, I've said before, a lot of solid things. There's not that there's not some concerns, too. You know, and I'm sure he'd say that on me as far as beliefs in our doctrines, right? So, uh, and I love my Calvinistic brothers and sisters who disagree uh, on our view here, uh, we go with what the early church taught, not what Johnny come lately, Augustine, and then later Calvin taught. And that's when these doctrines were changed. You could, many Calvinistic leaders say, yeah, the early church, we read the early church fathers, they definitely taught you had to persevere in the faith and that you could fall away. You know, they'll admit that. But it's interesting here, when I go through that in the Abide or Burn series, if you want to catch that up, because Steve, who's such a faithful brother, he's already got that out. <laughs> He just held it up, man. What an odd thing that you would just have that today, you know. He got it for you. I thought something like that was messing with you. (laughs) uh, So it's just interesting because what I do is I show, I I play a couple audio clips in that series where he says, these words are never used of salvation. Enlightened, you know. It's never used of like a full transaction, tasted, you know, uh, partakers of the Holy Spirit. And then what I do is I go say, okay, let's go look at these words. You know? And that word partakers of the Holy Spirit. By the way, do you talk about your non-believing friends? Do you talk about them being partakers of the Holy Spirit? Is that how you describe non-believers? Let's be honest. No, we don't. We don't talk about non-believers as having received the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the word partakers, matakos is, uh, I think it's translated M-A-T-H-T-E-C-H-O-S. I'm going from memory here because I did not plan on being in Hebrews 6 today. Or Hebrews 10, so I'm already way off my notes. So Lord, help me get back in a, in a little bit. But uh, it says partakers of the heavenly calling. Were they partakers of the heavenly calling or not? Yeah, they were. These are true partakers of the Holy Spirit. So they'll try to water down. Well, they, it says partakers, but you know. You know what the Bible says? The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2. You know what Jesus said? Uh, you know, or the scriptures say? If anyone has, does not have the Holy Spirit, he is none of his. By having the Romans 8, that is, right? Uh, now, the script, Jesus, Jesus said that, that the world does not receive the Holy Spirit. So this is not the world. These are, keep in mind, what's the context of this warning? How they're babes in Christ, amen? How they better press on to maturity, amen? And as babes, they're in jeopardy, right? Because they ought to be teachers by now. They should be on solid food. What's the context here? Move forward. Move forward to maturity. Why? First, he shames them because you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to have been growing up. But then he lets them know they could fall away. And then he gives an example of those who had fallen away to warn them, don't let this happen to you. Oh, uh, yeah, but, but he doesn't want that to happen to the non-believers there. The non-believers can't fall away. They're already lost. You don't tell non- I don't tell a non-believing friend, hey, man, don't fall away from Jesus. No, I tell them to come to Jesus. Amen. But throughout Hebrews, he's telling them not to fall away with what they already have and not to let their hearts get hardened. Amen? I'm sorry. That's context, guys. This is serious. So he's telling them, now pick it back up, verse 4. For in case of those who have, one, have once been enlightened, and I'm sorry, I love John, but he's saying, and I disagree, he's saying, well, enlightened, they, they were enlightened, but that's, that's not a word used for salvation. Really? Go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. He's talking to believers there. And he's warning them not to fall away. And he says to them, but remember, verse 32, remember the former days when after being what? 
Hebrews 10.32. But remember the former days when after being what? Enlightened. The same exact Greek word, by the way. You endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through approaches, tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy for the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a what? A better possession and a lasting one. Brothers and sisters, they have treasure in heaven. They have a home in heaven. They don't have to worry. They lost their homes. Don't tell me these enlightened not used for salvation. That's what it's used for in Hebrews. So you have to draw a line. You have to say, okay, how is this word being used elsewhere in Hebrews? And then what does he say in verse 35? Therefore do not what? Throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of what? Endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Wow. For in a very little while, he was coming, will come and not delay. But my righteous one, the just, the just as the King James says, I like the King James here, the just shall live by faith, or my righteous one will live by faith. But if he shrinks back, but if he, who, who's the context here? The righteous one, the just one, he can shrink back. But if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who, what? who draw back to destruction, but are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So he recognizes there are those who have drawn back to destruction after having been justified, after having been made righteous by the blood of Christ. Now he's confident that the Hebrews, he's warning as a, as a corporate group that they're going to persevere. Well, why does he keep giving these warnings? Because he's concerned about certain ones in, in their fellowship that they may not. So that's why he gives the warnings. But at the same time, he says, there are those right before this who have, don't be in the habit as some are, who are no longer in fellowship with us. And then he warns, not that everyone that was out of fellowship at that time was apostate, but they were in danger. They, didn't, they were, you know, it was really risky to get in fellowship at that time because persecution was coming upon the believers among some of the, from the Jewish believers. So some were backing up and things were going back, back to Judaism. He's like, don't do it. You have need of endurance. Back up again. Remember verse 32? Remember verse 32? But remember the former days when after being what? Enlightened, right? They're enlightened. They, they have treasure in heaven. Verse 35, go back there again. Therefore do not what? Throw away your what? Your confidence. Verse 36, you have need of endurance. Do you tell a non-believing person, don't throw away your confidence, just endure? If they're not believing, you're telling them to endure. You're telling them to endure in a lost state. Do you understand me? Let's say there's a guy you're working with and he's not really following Christ. He doesn't really want to follow Christ and you're talking to him. And then you say, hey man, you know, just persevere in what you believe right now. Just don't throw away your confidence now. Is that what you say to a non-believer? Yes or no? No, you don't. This is what you say to believers. Amen. And it's just a shame that we even have to talk about this. And there's even differences because it's so clear, I think. Now go back, to, well, back up in Hebrews 10. Because it's, I know, we'll get back to chapter 6 in a minute. But verse, chapter 10, verse 26. The author of Hebrews, who's definitely a Christian, says, For if we, he includes himself in this warning, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer what? Remains a sacrifice for sins. Brothers and sisters, that is a serious warning. In the context here, you may think, man, I've fallen short of God's glory. You know, it's no longer sacrifice for sins. He's talking about rebellion, a continuing rebellion, to where you end up rejecting Jesus and you trample under his blood by which you were sanctified. Look what he says. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But what? Instead of, a, instead of Christ's sacrifice for your sins, what's left then? Yep, a fearful or terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. You become God's enemy. Anyone who has set aside the law. Well, wait a minute, Joe, we're not under the law. You know, we're not. Yeah, guess what? It's worse to fall away under grace than the law. You can't say that. No, the author of Hebrews says that. Look what he says. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So if you reject the law of Moses, man, you were in trouble with being an apostate, saying, man, no, I'm not going to keep the Sabbath as a Jew. I'm not going to circumcise my kids, and I'm not going to go to the temple, you know, and I'm not going to 
I'm not, 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 not. And I'm going to do all these wicked things. Well, guess what? And you said, Silah and Moses, man, you get stoned to death. Under two or three witnesses. That's bad. Thank God we're saved by grace and we fall away. It's not so bad. Wrong. Look at verse 29. How much what? How much worse or severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he what? He was sanctified. And that's in the passive. Sanctified is in the passive. It's not something that you do. It's something God sanctified you by the blood of Christ through faith. And he was, it says, was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For I know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Will judge who? The non-believers? No, he's talking about God's people here, guys. Verse 31, it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But remember the day, former days when you were, you know, had been what? There it is again, enlightened. Go back to Hebrews 6. Who are the enlightened, non-believers or believers? believers? By the way, do you warn a non-believer? Hey, you know what? Don't depart from the blood of Christ. And trample underfoot the blood of Christ that, that by which you're sanctified. Do you tell non-believers they've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus? No, this language is not for unbelievers. Are you with me? It's just too clear. Now you go back to verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been what? Enlightened. I don't know why I wrote any notes down because I did not plan to be here tonight. You know, I just knew it. I said, Lord, I don't want to spend all my time convincing people. But I haven't taught on this doctrine strongly in a long time, and we won't spend the whole night here. Just a few more minutes. Uh, <laughs> for the case of those who are, have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. Oh, well, the word tasted, that just means nibbled. The heavenly Who's the heavenly gift? Who's our heavenly gift? Jesus. Amen. Salvation. If you said salvation, you're not wrong, because Jesus is our salvation. It's only salvation in him. They've tasted Jesus. Well, he just nibbled Jesus. No. No, that's not what he's saying. You know how I know that? Because that word tasted is used in Hebrews 2, and it talks about how Jesus tasted death for everyone. Did he, did, amen. Did he just nibble death? No. He died. Amen. And he rose again because he died all the way. Amen. Tasted means experiencing, you've experienced Christ, you know. So powerful. And they've tasted the heavenly gift. And have been made what? Partakers of the Holy Spirit. You can go to Hebrews 3.1. I already talked about that. The same Greek word for partakers is used there. I think it's Matakos in there. I'd have to go look that up. But I'm 99.999%. I know it's the same Greek word. And it's interesting. It talks about holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling. You wouldn't say, well, we're not really partakers of the heavenly calling. Yeah. How could you? The only reason you come here and say, well, they're not really partakers of the Holy Spirit, even though it says that, is because you don't want that to be true. Because you're trying to protect your theology over the Scripture. Don't change the scripture to fit your theology. That's a serious, serious sin. Amen. Okay? Change your theology to fit with scripture. Amen? Even if it's uncomfortable, say, you know what? It says it. And look at verse 5. And have tasted the good word of God. Amen? And I love the word tasted the good word of God, that phrase there, because in 1 Peter chapter, or first, uh, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, have you it's talked about tasting the word of God, which is salvation. Amen? Taste the good word of God. And then it says, and the powers of the age to come. They experienced, this church actually experienced, because they're on the heels of all these miracles that have been done. And many of them had experienced the powers of the ages to come. And then in verse 6, and then what? Not if. And I love a lot of things Charles Spurgeon said. But Charles Spurgeon said, he made his whole argument around the word if in verse 6. But he didn't know Greek. Okay? And other Calvinists came later and said, ooh, he made a boo-boo there because there's no if in the Greek, you know. Uh, and, and then have fallen away. So this is interesting. It's not hypothetical that it could happen. It obviously could happen for people who haven't because that's why the warning's here. And these are babes that need to grow so they don't fall away, amen? But this is talking, this, this is giving them as an example, it's giving an example of what happened to people already that that could happen to you if you stay an infant. So I'm telling you as my brother and sister Christ, I love you. But if you're still in diapers and you've been a Christian for a long time and you're still swinging a rattle around and you're not in the Word and you're not growing, you need to grow up because you're in, a, you're in danger. You're in danger. And you have to devote yourself to the Lord. You have to be serious about Scripture. You have to be in the Word. Because if you're not in the Word, you're not going to grow. And praise God, here you are tonight. Amen. Or you're watching by live stream or later, you know, uh, by listening to the, the tape message. Praise God. That's good because you're getting in the word. Amen. But don't just 
say, well, I'll have Pastor Joe and Pastor Steve teach me and the other elders and so forth, and, but I'm never going to read the word on my own. You need to do it on your own too, amen? You need to feed yourself, amen? And you need to not just be fed. You need to feed others, amen? Keith Green has that song called The Sleep in the Light, right? You've been so well fed, but he talks about how you're just dead and, and you can't even get up. Jesus rose from the grave, but you can't even get up, right? And uh, it's just a sad song because it talks about those who are sleeping late. Brothers and sisters, be people of the word. I mean, look, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. I open the Bible. I'm at Romans 10. Brethren, it's my heart's desire. I just didn't know where I was going. It's my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, for their salvation. Oh, praise God. This is where Paul's praying for the salvation of the Jews and, and how he wants to see them saved. And he even talks in, this, in the same area about how he'd give his own life and be cursed for them. How beautiful that is. How hard was that for me to just do that and get blessed by that? It's so simple. But for some of us, it's like, oh, it's so hard to open the Bible and actually read it. Oh! <laughs> I could turn it off. That page was really heavy. I mean, that's how some people seem to act when they're reading the Bible. It's like, oh, it's so hard to get in the Word. You know what? It's not hard at all, but it is in a way because there's spiritual principalities and powers that want to keep you from His Word. So that's why He wants to steal the Word. He wants to hide people from the Word. When it's sown, He wants to steal it. And then He wants to keep you from persevering it. Amen? Oh, I'm just too tired. Hey, honey, you want to go out to eat and watch a movie? I thought you were too tired to read the Word. Yeah, but it's such work. Those pages are just so heavy. No, they're not. They're not heavy. They're heavy in another way. It's God's word. Grow, amen? Grow. And if you're like, the pages are heavy for me, Joe. I've cut my fingers on them before, too. Use an iPhone then, okay? I think that's great. You can use iPhones. But to me, there's something about touching the page of Scripture I love, you know? I do it both ways, personally, computers, iPhone, and I love to turn the page of Scripture. But in Hebrews 6, it says, for the case of those who have once been enlightened, and we've read that, and then verse 6, have fallen away. They did fall away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified themselves, the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but because some of you are thinking, and you have to because this thought comes up, well, it's impossible for them to come back if they fall away, huh? If they're crucifying Christ afresh, it is. You know, if you've left for L.A. for Vegas, right, as long as you're going to L.A., your heart's set on Vegas and, or crucifying Christ fresh in this sense, it's impossible to renew you again to repentance, right? But if your heart gets softened, right, then you can be renewed. And I actually get into the actual Greek there, which, uh, and I show you the, uh, one of the, one of the uh, different translations point out that the context there, it's in the present tense. It's somebody who continues to crucify Christ afresh once. Nothing to do with Jesus, Okay, and guess what? You, if you turn, now many people turn back, talks about those branches that were broken off because of unbelief, if they could be grafted back in again, it says. The prodigal son, he was dead, but then he's alive. He was lost, but he's a found, right? James 5, 19, 20, brethren, if any of you turn from the faith or the truth and one converts him back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. There's a ton of scripture that says you can come back, but there's a warning here. You can become so far gone and we need to take this warning. This is why he writes this. You can become so, hard, so far gone that your heart becomes so hard you'll never turn back. Well, how do you know that's not me? Well, if you're trusting Jesus right now, it's obviously not you, amen? That's, that's absolute, right? Because you're loving Jesus. Your heart is, you know, I, no, you're wrong, Joe. I'm sitting right here and I hate Jesus. I'm, well, then it is you maybe. I don't know. Okay, but that's probably not, you're probably not here if you believe that unless you were dragged here by somebody. So, yeah, you can get so hardened to where you can't, be in, you can't come back because you've hardened your heart. But the good news is anybody who wants to come back, come back. Amen? Now, this is interesting because, by the way, by the way, notice what's there. It's impossible to renew them what? Again to repentance. Meaning they had repented before. You get it? You know what again means in the Greek? Again. It means again. It does, Jimmy. It means again. So guess what? That shows you. So I love my Calvinist brothers. And you be nice to your Calvinist brothers. Embrace them. Praise God with them. You can witness with them. I mean, if they're sharing that Jesus only died for elect, maybe not, you know. But still love on them. Amen? Love them. But, but don't, don't step aside from the truth at all. And look at what it says here. Because they'll say, well, they never really repented. That's what they'll say about this passage. These aren't real believers. They never really repented. Ooh, really? It says it's impossible to do them again to repentance. It shows they had repented before. 
and they had received the Holy Spirit, and so forth. Amen? Amen. So, and I already read the verses after that, 7 and 8. That's their, their end is to be burned. So you need to persevere in the faith. Now, in regard to uh, apostasy and revival, and what's being taught out there, and I think this is very important to understand, is right now, we are in the midst of a movement that I'd never thought would take off to this degree at this time in my Christian walk. I've been warning about the kingdom dominion movement for years and years and years, kingdom now, and so forth. And what these, but it's taken on at warp speed. And when I talk about kingdom dominionism, I'm talking about the teaching that claims that we're supposed to take the earth for Jesus. And we're supposed to dominate the earth. And some people that believe, a lot of people that believe actually in what's called Christian nationalism are teaching that. Okay? A lot of people that are post-millennial and their post-millennialism teaches, posits, that Christ comes back post, not post-trib, post-millennium. Christ doesn't come back until after the thousand years reign of Christ and the church is going to take control of the earth and we're going to reign for a thousand years. Then Christ is going to come back. So we kind of saved the world, you know? And then Christ comes back and he's just like, wow, look what you guys did. Wow, what wonderful saviors you are. Of course, they went point paint it that way that's the post-millennial there's what's called the latter rain movement which i don't have time to get into and we'll do some studies on this down the line but latter rain movement there's gonna be this latter rain there's gonna be this incredible revival uh kingdom dominionism has two main facets which make strange bedfellows on one hand you have the kingdom now people there are a lot of those people in the new apostolic reformation nar which has millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of followers perhaps over 100 million. It's just growing. Fastest movement in the church right now. That's the Reading thing that's going up in Northern California. That's going on in Northern California. Okay, I should point more that way, right? So that's probably south, right? But in Northern California. Uh, so it's interesting uh, with, with Bill Johnson and all, and these guys are considered apostles, and they have authority over the churches, and God's doing all these miracles, and the book of Revelation, they'll say, has already either been fulfilled, or you're just not understanding because the church is going to take over. You know, and they're really super into the gifts and miracles and everything. We believe in the power of God. We believe in miracles today as well. But we believe everything needs to be tested, amen? And we believe if you're calling yourself a, a prophet, man, we're going to test your prophecies. And they've been coming up false over and over again. They admit they make false prophecies. They just say, well, yeah, well, a true prophet can make a bunch of false prophecies. In fact, one of them, one of them I think it's Bill Johnson, says that's how you know that someone's a prophet because he's made a bunch of false prophecies too. What in the world? It's because they're guilty. So they're like, well, we got to redefine what a prophet is. And this is what Jesus said. There'll be false Christ and false prophets in the last days. There's be this a huge deception. So it's very, very interesting to me that with, uh, in kingdom dominionism, you have the kingdom now, and they believe that we're going to use miracles to transform the earth. But also there's within the kingdom dominion movement what's called reconstructionism. So the kingdom now is a lot of the charismatics are in the kingdom now movement. Reconstructionism is more your, a lot of your Calvinists. And by the way, just keep in mind, a lot of Calvinists are not Reconstructionists or post-mill. Okay? In fact, John MacArthur's church, they would be against uh, post-mill. They are. Against Reconstructionism. Against kingdom now. Okay? They're pre-trib. We disagree on that. But guess what? They're, if someone's pre-trib, they're still our brother and sister, Right? If someone's post-mill, I can still call them my brother, but I'd like warn against them. If they're like teaching false prophecies and claiming they're from God, that's, I'm sorry, there's a line there, right? So right now, uh, John MacArthur's church, and they're standing against a lot of the post-mill stuff that's going on right now, and there's a battle within the eschatologies right now. It's, it's happening right now in the church. It's all happening right now. And so, but the kingdom now people are more charismatic, but they're part of the kingdom dominion. We're going to take dominion. And the kingdom and the reconstructionists are the ones who are a lot of the Calvinists and so forth that say we're going to bring back, many of them, we're going to bring back the law of Moses, you know, as far as making people, you know, some of them have taught, Rush Dooney and others, is a big name uh, for years among that movement. They're going to, you know, uh, put homosexuals in prison and, you know, prosecute witches and all that stuff. And that's not what we're called to do around the earth. We're called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the earth, amen, not take over the earth for Christ. And, uh, and you've heard me talk about what they call, now this is where they're strange bedfellows, the charismatics, in the Kingdom Now movement that believe that we're supposed to take the earth have united with many of the Reconstructionists. The Calv they've kind of come together, the, their eschatologies. Okay, you don't have to be a Calvinist to be Reconstructionist, but I've seen that many of the Reconstructionists are Calvinistic. 
But if you're Calvinist, it doesn't mean you're Reconstructionist. Don't get that wrong. Don't say, Calvinists are Reconstructionists. No. And not everybody that believes in the gifts, like we believe in the gifts, we're not kingdom now, right? So you have to make sure you love everybody, but at the same time you're warned. And I could go to a church that's Calvinistic and visit and encourage people and love on them, right? But, and believe that there's true, genuine believers that love. A lot of people love Jesus, amen? But I could not go to Reading in Bill Johnson's church where they claim to be doing all these miracles and doing these false prophecies, admitting there's false prophecies and saying that that's from God. I couldn't do that. Do you understand the difference? Now, it's really interesting when you think about this because what's happening is many of these people, and I don't have time to get into it, but many of them have joined under what's called the seven, remember the seven mountain mandate. Remember that? And the seven mountains, right? Entertainment. Christians are going to take over Hollywood and the music industry. Really? The world's going to accept that? Think the world's going to say, we want to hear, just, we just want to watch Christian movies now and listen to just Christian music. No, it's not going to happen, guys. Don't hold your breath. You'll die in like two minutes or whatever it takes for you to die. Three, four minutes. Uh, it's not going to happen. We're going to take over the government for Christ. We're going to take over, you know, uh, the, the schools and all these seven mountains. We're going to take it all over for Jesus. No, you're not. But guess what they're going to do? They're going to compromise many of them, and there's going to be a counterfeit kingdom. The Bible talks about a counterfeit kingdom coming you guys. And that's what's scary. There'll be a counterfeit kingdom. But the scriptures tell us that there would be an apostasy. Do you know in the book of Revelation, I, I mentioned earlier, does the Bible teach a coming worldwide revival where the world comes to Christ or does it teach a fallen away? Does it teach us a fallen away or does it teach a great fallen away? It teaches a great fallen away. In fact, I know when Jesus said in Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14, he said, enter the narrow gate, right? For straight is the, the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And Few are those who find it, right? But broad and spacious way it leads to destruction and many go that way. I'm sorry, those are the words of Jesus. I'm not budging from them. And guess what? When I look around and I look at the landscape spiritually, I see where people are at. Matthew 7 is exactly what he said. It's exactly what's happening. It's few versus the many. Is, is it not? Or wait a minute, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're like, man, no, Joe, everywhere I go, through the shopping centers and gas stations, everybody's like, praise Jesus, praise the Lord. Oh, we all love Jesus. No, it's not, that's not the way it is. Um, maybe right, last time I saw a man, I was ready to vomit because when I watched the news, it was almost as woke as being shoved down everybody's throat. Amen? That's what's prevailing. And, well, there's a lot of people against you. And a lot of people that are against it aren't saved. You know, they're just ticked off. You need to make sure you know Jesus. Amen? And by the way, and I think this is important, is in Revelation chapter 9, at the end of the seven trumpets, I'm sorry, in the midst of the seven trumpets, verses 19 through 21, it talks about even after all these plagues, they still did not what? They still did not repent of their worship of demons, of their pharmakeia, sorcery, uh, of, their, of their proneto, their sexual perversion, of their murders, of their theft. They still didn't repent. Then when I get to Revelation 16, ooh, maybe a little later, maybe. Ooh, now we're at the last bowls, man. Ooh, it's getting really, it's almost over. Guess what it says in, under the bowl judgments? And they blasphemed God because of the pain that they were in, and they refused. They still did not repent. The world doesn't repent. The world, the Bible doesn't teach a, in fact, when you read Revelation 13, it says the beast makes war on who? The saints, the believers, the Christians, amen. And he overcomes them. No, he doesn't overcome the church because there'll be a lot of Christians hidden away. There'll be Christians put in prison. It says that those that are to be killed with the sword will be killed with the sword in chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. And those who are to be uh, in prison will be imprisoned and so forth. So there'll be, the church will still be here even when Jesus comes, right? We'll be caught up to meet him in the air. There'll still be believers. In, in uh, Isaiah chapter 24 through 27, it says his wrath is coming. The world's going to totter like a drunkard and so forth. And his indignation, it says, go into your homes. So certain people will be able to go in their homes until my indignation is passed. I don't know if they have a lot of canned food or the Lord brings food through crows or what, you know, but praise God, you know, God's going to take care of his people. Some go out to the wilderness in Revelation chapter 12, you know. So it's just interesting to me. In fact, Paul said that Christ would not come after the church until what two things happened first? The what? Why are you all talking at once? I'm just kidding. I'm teasing you. Amen. You guys are right. You know your Bibles. Until the fallen away comes first, the apostasy and the man of sins revealed. The Antichrist is coming. And then Jesus said in Matthew 24, when they asked him for the signs of the times, he said that, you know, the love of many would grow cold. And, and did he say a few people or what will fall away? 
He said, many will fall away. I'm going to stick with Jesus, man. That's what his word says, and that's what we see happening. But if you think that what's happening right now in the church is a lot of the professing church, professing Christians, this whole kingdom dominion movement, they're actually bringing a lot of the new age stuff into the churches, saying, oh, and we're saying, no, that's from the occult. That's from the new age. That's forbidden. That's unbiblical. They're saying, oh, no, no, they stole it from us. We're just taking it back. But I'm like, show me where it says these, it forbids these things. You guys, it's happening right now. And what I'm saying is they're converging with false spirituality. And that's what's happening in this counterfeit revival. Is be a lot of people claim to be Christians who are not Christians, but they're apostate. But it's going to be called Christianity. And guess what? We are, we're the guys that wouldn't take the mark of the beast. We're the guys that are trying to spoil the party. We're the guys that are the last vestiges of their, of their, of their hardened hearts and their consciences. And, and guess what? We've got to be put down. And guess what? People in the kingdom dominion movement talk about believers, Christians, that, well, they just use their brains too much. They're too into discernment. They're going to be wiped out, and they're not going to go in to this new kingdom that God's bringing. It's all a big setup, guys. So make sure that you watch your life and you watch your teaching and that you stay in the Word. Because guess what? If you're reading your Word, right, you're not getting caught up in Christian nationalism. A top writer on Christian nationalism, he's got a book that came out a year or so ago. He's like, he goes, well, I know my book doesn't use much Bible verses. I'm like, yeah, that's for sure, because you don't have any. You know, He admits it. Well, I'm not really a theologian. Well, don't even write a book about what the church is supposed to do then if you're not a theologian. Amen. I love you guys. Okay. I just want us to protect, be protected from the lies of the enemy. And I want to make sure, don't say somebody, well, they were never in. My little girl comes in, my granddaughter, my little girl, Holly. I fell off the monkey bars, Dad. Holly, you know, how old are you? No, I think that's cool if she still does monkey bars. But one of my grandchildren comes in, I fell off the monkey bars. Dad, pop up, look what happened. I go, no, you could never fall because once you're up there, you never fall. That's ridiculous. You know that's a lie. Amen. Continue to hold on to Jesus. Amen. And the good thing is you don't have to hold on to him like you'd have to hold on to a monkey bar. He holds on to you, amen. We're kept by the power of God, it says, through faith. You just keep trusting him, amen. Let's stand.